Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's episode of Money in the Middle podcast. I am extraordinarily excited about today's episode as, you know, we have a few guests and I think that this will be one of the best episodes today, in my opinion, right? As is customary, we're going to start out with a proverb and the proverb for today is the craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. The craving of a sluggard will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Wow. Well, Stogie of the Week, we are going back to the H. Upman, Nicaragua, A.J. Fernandez. And man, I'm telling you, it's a great one. Kick back, guys, and uh, let's go on this journey together. So let me start out by saying, um, welcome to this week's installment of Money in the Middle podcast. We're so grateful and thankful that you've decided to join us this week, as well as that you have stuck with us and continue with us at the beginning of this journey. We have a very special show for you today. We have three realtor extraordinaires, if you will, uh, all from the Northeast that are here to talk about what we're seeing in our current marketplace. Uh, as you all know, the uh, interest rates have gone up. We've talked about that extensively over the last few episodes, uh, but I thought it would be important to get the perspective of the real estate sales professionals who are out in the, out in the marketplace on a daily basis. That said, let me introduce you folks to our guests, and they will be able to kind of introduce themselves and, you know, put their whole spiel out there. Uh, our, our guests joining us today uh, is Jessica Delane, Maya Jackson, and Stephanie Fulton Lott. So we're going to start with Jessica. Jessica, go ahead and introduce yourself. Let the people know who you are, what you do, what got you into real estate in the first place. Hi, my name is Jessica Delane, uh, better known as Real Estate Jess on all social media platforms. I've been a licensed agent in New Jersey for about six years. Um, I got started after meeting uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and I realized the potential um, that you can make in real estate and how I can help people. So um, I primarily work with first-time home buyers, and I also am a landlord myself, so I like to use my uh, real estate experience and property, property management experience to help my clients. Awesome. Thank you, Jessica. And I'm glad that you mentioned that you are a landlord. So we are going to talk about that as we progress in our conversation. Let's go over to Maya next. Maya, please introduce yourself. Maya is a regular, um, but for those who don't know, we picked up some subscribers. So Maya, go ahead and introduce yourself for the, for the new folks in the back. <laughs> hey guys, it's Maya the Realtor here on all social media platforms. I am a North Jersey Realtor, been in the real estate, real estate streets for about six years, just like Jess. Um, and I got started because I was always the one who watched HGTV. Um, if you listen to the first episode I did with Ron, I was explaining how looking at it on TV and actually practicing in the industry is completely different. Um, so I just wanted to be able to 
give my clients the glitz and glamour look that they get on TV. So that was one of the main reasons why I joined. Outstanding. Thank you for, for that, Maya. And last but certainly not least, bring us home, Miss Fulton Lott. Tell the people about yourself, how they connect with you, etc. Hello, my name is Stephanie Fulton Lott. I can be found at Steph's Movement underscore on Instagram. Steph Helps is my hashtag. I am a mortgage loan originator, both licensed in New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Nonetheless, I'm available to answer all questions in any states, nonetheless. Um, my passion in this business is to close the gap. And I think that's enough said. Um, you know, there is uh, uh, truly a, a gap when it comes to certain individuals in the uh, real estate industry. And I'm here to, you know, help you with my education. I've been in this business since 2005. Uh, fun fact about me is I actually started in the mortgage industry in high school. I was a um, in the mortgage uh um, where I was just a receptionist and I had a passion about real estate then and I'm still passionate about it today after all of the uh, ups and downs that we've had in the industry. So yeah, I'm excited. Thank you guys for allowing me to join. Outstanding. You know, it, it's not often that I get other mortgage professionals in you know, on, onto the podcast. I've gotten investors. We've had some uh, capital syndicators, etc. So I'm really excited to have have you here with us today, Stephanie. Well, you guys know the topic. We we talked a little bit about uh, about our goal today. Our goal is to really kind of shed light on uh, what we're seeing in the marketplace for real estate. Um, and I'm glad that Stephanie's here too, because now we can get both the real estate sales as well as from a mortgage perspective as the rates are starting to go up and how the two are correlating between each other. So ladies, any, in, in any format, anyone can start. Um, what, what are you guys seeing in the marketplace right now? Right. We know that rates have gone up. Uh, we've talked about this extensively on previous episodes. Uh, one of those being that the prime rate is still low, but banks, the trading rate for notes, are higher, uh, especially in the secondary and the mortgage investment marketplace. So the rates are going up, um, but in my opinion, demand for housing has not decreased as rates have gone up. What, what are you guys seeing out there? Any, anybody? I have a few buyers um, that since the rates have gone up just a little bit, I have a few buyers that are telling me they're gonna wait a little bit. They wanna get some of their finances a little bit more in order. Um, so I have, I've seen some people that's like, listen, I'm still ready to go. I need to find a house fast. But then I do have those that are just like, mm, maybe now is not the time. Okay. A- anybody else see, see anything different? Yeah, I can speak to that. I don't really, I don't see um, people dropping out. I know that some of my buyers are starting to get priced out because they can no longer afford um, based on the interest rates going up. So. I, I do see that happening, and um, I don't think the demand is down, though, similar to what you said. Like, I don't think that's happening. There's still a lot of buyers that are still able to buy, um, and that they just decide, like, you know, obviously the rates are going up. It's not the best thing, but if they have an opportunity at a later time, they'll just refinance. Jess, I'm so happy um, that you you explained that that way, and your, your buyers understand that, because some of these 
the borrowers that I deal with, they don't have a full understanding of that. And it's very important that the agents are explaining that to uh, the borrowers and the buyers. Um, right now, it's definitely, you know, I get asked the question all the time, is, still, is now still the time to buy? Absolutely. We've seen over the last 30 days that rates have increased tremendously. So guess what? You guys have gotten boxed out. We don't, we're not fortune tellers. We don't know what's going to happen in the future. We know what the rate is today. If you can qualify today, qualify for what you qualify for and get your foot in the door. And if rates, right. you know, drop in, in, you know, in the future, then guess what? We can always uh, strategically work together to figure out how that works for our clients, right? Listen, I, I'm, I I'm glad that, I, I, who's that, who's that, Stephanie that said that? That's Steph. Mm-hmm. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that because uh, one of the things that uh, that I talk to people about all the time, you know, I also have a, an investment background from the securities and, you know, private placement investment and things of that nature. One of the things that I tell people all the time is the time value of waiting, right? Or or mm-hmm. what, you know, the risk of the time for yes. waiting, right? Because a lot of folks who last year rates were in the twos and threes, et cetera, you know, and everybody was like, oh, well, you know, uh, houses are going too fast. I don't know. Uh, I don't want to participate in an inflated housing market. You know, I'll just wait till next year. Well, next year came and we're in 2022 and the rates are, you know, almost the the, the, the average rate right now is almost a, a point and a quarter, a point and a half over the prime rate. Um, you know, so folks are getting priced out, but, you know, still want to wait. <laughs> they still want to wait. Um you know, so so Stephanie, what what have you have you seen any movement from uh, folks getting approved for or going after new construction type of uh, purchases or things like that? I I have um I have I can't see that there's a difference as opposed to everyone um, anyone going towards new construction as opposed to any other financing. I do see that you know folks are paying attention to what's being thrown out there via the media and getting, you know, running scared, so to speak. And, um, you know, I'm here just to put things in perspective and, you know, say, listen, um, 10 years ago, rates were higher than they are today. You know, oh, I was yeah. cringing because I, I, I'm, I'm in the process of calling back all of my approvals and letting them know that, you know, hey, you may not qualify for as much home that you qualified for last month. You know, so it's a tough conversation, but at the same time, I'm not telling you to, that you don't qualify at all, you know. All loans. All loans. All right, 6%. 6%. That's prime. Prime. Plus. Plus. One. One. And a quarter. And a quarter. Uh, what would you guys say are some strategies that you know high level strategies that that you have been employing with your with your clients and your buyers on navigating this market so i would say for my clients like i have them set up to like automatically receive listings um not even daily but like any at any moment when a new listing that's within their criteria comes into the mls they'll, they'll be notified um, so just to kind of like really be flexible and make time to see homes before the open houses or before the weekend. Um, and obviously we do have to be a little bit more competitive with our offers. So I tend to have my buyers shop 
below their pre-approval amount so that we have enough room to go over asking price. Um, and then if we have to like cover some appraisal gap um, if necessary, or um, limit the inspection to an extent, um, which we don't like to do a lot, but we'll limit it depending on um, how experienced my client might be. So just trying to throw a few things in the contract to help um, incentivize the seller to you know choose our, our offer. Um, and, and just to not to give up because honestly I, I know that it's a process it's not easy for anyone but um you'll you know you'll find the right house you'll get an accepted offer and things will work out but I, I just think it's important not to give up even though it is a lot of things being thrown at us like every day so thank you right, anybody to, yeah I was just gonna say just to piggyback off of just about them um being ready and shopping underneath um, their pre-approval amount, I do the same thing. And then I also have them make sure that the lender that they're working with uh, has like open communication. That way, if you do come across a property that you're interested in and we go see it, you could have your lender run different pricing scenarios. Um, awesome. That way you can know what you're getting into. Thank, thank you guys for that. And, and, you know, Jessica, you mentioned something that recently came up for someone I was advising on a mortgage, um, the appraisal gap, right? Um, that's something that's been around forever, but it hasn't really been common practice, right? And what we're seeing now is that it's becoming more and more uh, accepted or acceptable, right? The appraisal gap. Uh, the idea that uh, if the price, if the if the property appraises for less than the less than the value of the property, um, then the buyer would bring would bring the rest. Right now, um, I want to get Stephanie's thought around that. I had a I actually was consulting with someone on on this, and. Um, I was consulting with someone on this and they had not seen the property, right? They had, they saw the property from the outside, but they hadn't seen the property from the inside yet. Her realtor had told them to, Oh, well you need to one waive your inspection as well as be prepared to, uh, you know, you know, fill the gap for the appraisal. Right. From a mortgage originator perspective, Stephanie, what what what's your thoughts on that? Honestly, Ron, I just I'm I'm very um, client driven, and so I just try to make sure that um, my clients fully understand what they're signing up for when they do things like that, sight unseen. Um, I have had several clients that have decided to move forward with, uh, you know. Um, supplementing the uh, the appraisal gap. Um, honestly, would I personally do it given the right situation? I'm not sure. So I'm more individual individual scenario driven, right? Yeah. Um, I really have no control because some clients are just like, I want this property. I was explaining, I think, to Maya that I had a client two months ago that brought 100000 to the table to supplement that, that gap. <laughs> and I was like, wow. But for them and their family, it made sense, right? Yeah, but like... So, would you agree that like that they would have to love that property in order and to they make did. 
Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You know, I, so, I wouldn't. What are your thoughts if they couldn't even see that properly? I kind of put my foot in my mouth because um, I am one that you know. I'm I'm all honest to a fault, right? And when I have these conversations, again, I'm always about the educational piece and how, what does this mean to you financially? Does it make sense? And if I've had that conversation with one of my clients and they still choose to move forward, then, you know, it's, it's at least I know that I've educated them, you know, with their financial responsibility and what, you know, what is this, is this an investment? What are your goals? You know, and then I feel confident in that, you know, I, I really have no say once they decide to move, you know, forward I, I'm gonna be honest a hundred thousand dollars above asking was uncomfortable for me above appraisal was uncomfortable for me but it happened and the deal closed yeah you so, know, on, on the investor side of the house I don't really care right you know if the investor if you want the deal you pay what it costs yep yeah you know I, I'm a little more that's also why I only work on the investment side of the house or mm-hmm. on the side uh, I'm a little more weary when it comes down to um, you know, primary residence, consumer, because you know, yes, you, you start getting Dodd Frank and CFPB and you know, CRA, all of the, the alphabet soup of government regulation. Something comes up at the end of the day, you never know. Uh, that was the right thing to do. And a lot of the people who overpaid for homes last year are now mm-hmm. there are studies showing that they now have buyer's remorse. Right, they're you know they're like, yeah. oh, I spent I spent way too much money on this house, and now I hate living in the country. Oh, by the way, my job is now telling me to come back, come back in. The client that I'm speaking of was actually coming out of New York and coming all the way to South Jersey, so they had over a two-hour commute. <laughs> you mm. know, so they're called back into the office. But again, you know, Ron, I'm always very transparent, and I, you know, if I see things like that, I do have the conversation. I'm not one of the lenders that just sits behind the desk and acts oblivious to what, you know, the, the, um, you know, uh, what you're taking on. Like, I do have that conversation in case you're not aware. Hey, by the way, listen, this is what you're up against. You have a two hour commute. Does this make sense to you? You are bringing a hundred thousand dollars more to the table than what the property is, is valued at. Does this make sense to you? This is how long it's going to take. You know, I, 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 um, show them, you know, how long it will take for them to, uh, you know, priced out, so to speak, right? Um, so, you know, I give you all those tools and what you decide to do with the knowledge that I've given you, knowledge is power, right? It's on you. Yeah. Jessica, what's your thought? No, I was just going to speak to the sight on scene part of it because I actually have buyers that are not really investors. They're first-time, first-time home buyers, but they're really comfortable with doing sight on scene offers now. Yeah. And I never used to have that um, happen so frequently, but a lot of clients, especially because we get a lot of New Yorkers coming into Jersey, they think that um, because they have been looking for so long and they've been um, not getting accepted offers, sometimes they feel like they're wasting time that they'd rather just put the offer in and um, move forward with the property that way. And um, it's, it's interesting because I feel like even though a lot of clients are investors, this market is kind of having to that way where they're willing to throw up more cash to cover appraisals and all that stuff that we never saw before and it's because I I, I guess it's kind of desperation in a way like they really want to secure a property and especially now with the interest rates going up they're realizing okay it's kind of like I have to get something now like now or never type of situation that's what I'm seeing so 
Right. You know, I agree. I have a um, that's fair plan right now that I'm going to be closing with soon, and she um, is bringing an extra like forty-seven grand to the table for, to cover the appraisal gap. You know, I think I think that's fair enough. You know, I um, I, I generally subscribe to this, to the idea that if it's for me, then I'll get it. If it's not, I'll move on. Um, you know, I, I'm not in the business of making decisions on behalf of clients. So, I mean, just like you all are, right? You are are also not in the business of making decisions on the clients, and and I think that that's a good place to be. Um, you know, and I think that that's also prudent, especially since you know. It, at the end of the day, the client is the one who has to live with the decision that they make. You know? I think that what we're, our job is to kind of help them, like Steph said, like kind of just make sure they understand like the full capacity of what they're taking on. And then there's other things you have to weigh in, like the location. Um, and then if the numbers work, if it's a multifamily, you haven't seen it, but will the numbers work if you have you know it fully rented out or if you have a vacancy can you still afford it so it's like really we we're there to support them and weigh out you know the the pros and cons so that they can make a good decision but we, yeah. we can't make it for them like you said fair enough you know what also uh it's i think it's important to note you know while we're talking about uh appraisal gaps and value property values and things of that nature uh, we, I think Maya and I talked a little bit about this on some previous episodes, but the performing loan amount has increased. I think the the max floor for conforming loans for the federal conforming loan is like six hundred and something, right? Don't don't quote me on that. I know I don't right. have it in front of me, uh, mm-hmm. but that's why we got Miss Fulton Lot on here. She, she was on. <laughs> It's like six hundred and something, which means that that means is that in markets where you know there are higher costs of living, like DC or New York, you can you can still buy a home. You can still you're still able to play even though the the cost is really high, right? So for example, where I'm at, where I live in uh, Newcastle County, um, the conforming loan also corresponds directly with the FHA limits for Newcastle County, mm-hmm. Delaware, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, now, that's not always the case, so I don't want to pretend like, uh, you know, that's always the case because some in some places, yeah, the conforming loan might be 600-something, but the FHA limits are lower because of the home values in that particular area. I'm yeah. not, I don't do that sort of business, so I don't, you know, I'm not going to try and speak on that. But the point that I'm making is that, um, and, and I'm hoping that for anyone who's listening to this, who thinks that you aren't able to play um, mm-hmm. just because, you know, maybe you never thought that you'd be able to buy in the four, five, six hundred thousand dollar range um, because you don't have 20 percent, 10 percent down payment uh, plus closing costs. Well, if you've got the income to cover it, there is light at the end of the tunnel. There's water in that well um you know and and as much as i would love to go into that i don't want to lose time right and and i gotta be cognizant of time um and maybe i'll get miss fulton lot on it again we'll go through we'll do a a specific episode on uh home mortgage and home buying process and it's basically because this is what's on what's at the top of folks mind right now as inflation runs rampant 
you know, the highest it's ever been in the last 40 years, you know, gas, all that, etc. Right? Yay! But what I wanted to transition to just a little bit, uh, Jessica mentioned earlier that you're a landlord, right? And I have a very unique position on managing property being a landlord, right? Uh, I've seen really good tenants and I've seen the worst, right? I actually had a tenant we asked him point blank, where do you think you're going to live at for free? He said, I'm going to live here. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> that being said, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit biased about, about, about tenants and landlords and all that. But um, with the price, with, you know, with the cost of buying a home increasing, the demand for buying a home has increased. What are you seeing from a tenant standpoint? And I know you, Maya, also, you guys do rentals. Uh, what are y'all seeing from a, a, a landlord-tenant standpoint from uh, vacancies for rental properties, etc.? Here where I am, um, I don't, I don't think any of my clients have had any issues with um, tenants. I've been helping a lot of my um, buyers who are uh, buyers of multifamily homes to rent out their units, and we haven't had many issues because um, even though there's a lot of people on the market to buy, there are a lot of people who still are in position. Um, to buy so they're they're opting towards renting um what i would say is that you know obviously people who have been living at the same place for a very long time are very surprised at what market rent is now um but but from my experience i don't think any of the landlords have had any issues with um, renting out their units and keeping them rented um and from my experience um i have you know i have a poor family and you know i i'm fixing up one unit that's being uh finished up the other two they've been there for a very long time i don't think they're gonna go anywhere but i did have an issue where i had a tenant who you know did not want to pay rent or any of the other utilities which thankfully in the state of pennsylvania um we weren't really bound by that moratorium where i couldn't evict so we were able to get them out so it, that worked in my favor there but um here you know i've i've heard a lot of stories i haven't experienced it um firsthand but you know there were a lot of people who have taken advantage of the COVID moratorium and they basically you know did not pay rent for months on end and then they try to figure out where they're going to go next um or if they know the the owners are in the process of selling they're they're actually feeling kind of entitled to get um bought out so that they can vacate in order for the the owners to sell so that those are things that I haven't seen um as far as tenants go yeah, yeah. Um, what what else have? What about anybody else have? You know, anything they want to see with tenants? For me, what I see um, for my buyers that's buying multifamilies that have current tenants in there, the most common thing that I'm running into is the tenants are paying below market value rent. I don't want to say necessarily that they're given a problem. Um, but they're paying below market rent. And then some of them are still, you know, um, not allowing their tenants to be accessed during showing um, because because of COVID and stuff like that. So a lot of the times we may be able to see one unit, but we won't be able to see the other one. 
sometimes you know I have buyers that's like okay with it they'll deal with it when they close but then some of them like well I want to be able to see the other unit before I buy so just between the market paying below market value rent and then also like certain tenants just giving a little bit of um, hesitation with allowing access to their units are you saying are you guys saying rents go up at all yeah, I've seen rent some rental increases. It's definitely, it's definitely increased. Um, but for the situation now, I know certain parts of North Jersey they have like so where you can only increase rent by a certain amount every year. So with some of them that's paying below, they 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 still even with the increase are not getting um, market rent. Gotcha. You know, I have. Uh, my own thoughts about the landlord-tenant relationship, right? Um, what What are your guys' opinion on this, right? Here's my thought on landlord-tenant. Oh, for me, in any relationship, whether it's, you know, a job employee, whether it is business person to business person, where you're a buyer or seller, you know, whether it's a girlfriend and a boyfriend, whether it's a husband and a wife, and everything that we do, uh, there's an exchange of value, right? Meaning that uh, each individual, whether it's a fictitious person like an entity, a business deal, etc., is given. Um, and as a result of their giving, they receive, right? Um, but it seems like to me, now I could be completely out of sorts, right? So please correct me. It seems like to me in some cases, the tenant-landlord relationship is one of the one of just one of the of, of many different types of relationships where that exchange of value is oftentimes exploited or um, just really non-existent. It's almost like some tenants seem like they are entitled to live in that place and that the landlord owes them something for being in that place when really the exchange of value is, the landlord provides the property, pays the taxes, keeps the place up. The tenant has a place to live, so they pay the rent, right? And their utilities, etc. And don't destroy the place because you guys are mutually exchanging value. But that, I feel like that relationship is oftentimes kind of, you know, not always the best. What, what do you all think about that? I think that sometimes uh, tenants don't take all those things into consideration, all of the expenses that the landlord incurs just from owning the property, and they just solely look at the fact that they're constantly receiving on a monthly basis rent. They're constantly paying rent. So I think that sometimes they don't um, get it, and it seems as if like the landlord may owe more um, to the tenant. And also, I do believe which we do see people trying to charge like market rent, but they don't do any updates or anything to the property. And um, it kind of seems like it doesn't balance out. Like you want me to pay today's rent when I don't get anything in addition. Like I'm not getting laundry, I'm not getting parking or, you know, updated kitchen or anything, but I'm paying more. Um, And also, you know, I do think for today's, um, the new landlords that are buying at today's prices, realistically, they need those higher rents, you know, just to be able to afford the home. So 
I, I understand where you're coming from, but I think it's just a matter of the tenants not really having like the full scope of what goes into owning the property and all the costs and things that it entails. On top of that, I also feel like the tenants, um, certain tenants feel like if they're, if they've been a tenant for let's say five years or more, or you know, and they've been paying rent on time, I feel like certain tenants um, may feel like they're owed a sense of loyalty. I guess if that makes sense. Like, well, since I've been here for five years and I've been paying you for five years, why all of a sudden do you want to raise my rent? Or why all of a sudden just because you're selling, you know, the new the new landlord is gonna come in. Like they feel like because they have a sense of rapport with their landlord that they may be owed a sense of loyalty too, which is not necessarily the case. Ladies, I've talked your heads off enough, and I'm sure that our listeners are more than grateful for uh, your perspectives today. Folks, this has been an outstanding, outstanding episode. We've had three brilliant women uh, and professionals first here on our our podcast. Um, Please join us next week for Money in the Middle podcast. Uh, we where we continue to bring Wall Street and Main Street together and, and we continue to be the bridge uh, between the two. Until next time, peace and thank you.